On this episode, we discuss Tom and Jerry. Is Elliot's least favorite animated animal duo part of his least favorite movie of the year? Tune in to find out. Welcome to the Flop House. I'm Dan McCoy. Yeah, that's right. Showtime. It's me, Stuart Showtime Wellington. And it's me, Elliot Naptime Kalen, saying, <laughs> when's my nap time? That's my new catchphrase, guys. Do you like it? I do like it. I think that's probably copyright infringement on, let's just say, like my whole thing, my kind of vibe, my general... Oh, wow. Okay. Like, yeah. Uh, okay. I guess I'll have to dig through the old episodes to find the times when you said, when's my nap time? Which uh-huh. is now mm-hmm. my new catchphrase. I don't re- remember mm-hmm. you ever saying it, but if you want to retroactively I didn't say the catchphrase. I just, you know, like sort of a, like a sad, whiny man who's tired a lot. Like, I feel like uh-huh. you gotta, you gotta, you know, you, you need to lean into more of your bits. Like, uh, okay, I'll introduce he you also, He also Wait. sounded like a baby when he said it, which I think yeah. is also kind of your thing, right, Dan? Yeah, that's yeah. okay. You know what? I'll start a new character. I'll start a new character. Okay. This hay fever. I don't like it. That's my new character. Guy <laughs> who's always Al dealing with hay fever. With hair, hay fever? <laughs> yeah, I that's love Al Pacino it. with hay fever. That is, I'm amazed that that's not a character that was on SNL at some point. Or Conan O'Brien, <laughs> Al Pacino <laughs> yeah. with hay fever. Yeah, I love How it. How does this guy I'm sneezing. That's what it sounds like when I sneeze. Hmm. Gesundheit, Mr. Pacino. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, man. So what do we do on this here podcast, Danny? Well, this here podcast is one where we watch a bad movie and then we talk about it. And in this age, this uh, pandemic age, when uh-huh. uh, the, the movie theaters are, you know, even the ones that are open are, are, are not overflowing with folks. The uh, I mean, to be a honest, of, a movie theater should never be overflowing with folks. That's a that's yeah. an occupancy mm. problem. Yeah, that's like yeah. a gremlin or situation. Plumbing yeah, yeah, you issue. don't want them just spilling out of the doors and windows. <laughs> yeah, that's too much. Yeah, but uh, a, a whole bunch of movies that were originally intended to be um, uh, uh, big theatrical releases are going straight to streaming, including. Uh, is it all, is it Warner Brothers film? Is that the slate that has been dumped? Yes, to, yeah. Warner uh, Brothers. HBO Max is the streaming platform for Warner Brothers, and Warner Brothers has decided that they will day and date all their movies will be released in the theaters and also on HBO Max simultaneously for a month. And so that's what we're dealing yeah. with with today's episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So today we decided to watch one of the them their movies, uh, Tom <laughs> and Jerry. It's, it's dealt with HBO Max has already it's already handled a bunch of similar HBO properties. Uh, the Little Things, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, and now Tom and Jerry. Movies that all are going towards the same audience, which is very difficult, you know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you would think they would want to vary it up a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. But nope. Mm-hmm. No. So, yeah, so we'd, we all fired up our HBO Max subscriptions, mm-hmm. and we picked a movie. I was like, Dan, you can pick any movie. Which one do you have the most passion for? And you said Tom and Jerry. Mm-hmm. So did you guys did you guys also know a kid named HBO Max who was just the kid who had HBO at his house whose name was Max? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, See, I thought you were gonna say, Elliot, did you guys also hate Tom and Jerry as a kid? Because uh I was I was really wrestling whether to yes and Stuart's bit of me loving Tom and Jerry or uh use this as an opportunity to get into my feelings about the characters, which I I'm sure that we'll 
uh, talk about it over the course of the next uh, 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 hour or so. But man, certainly like, seems on point. I texted Elliot and I was like, uh, "Wow, this it's amazing the way this movie." I guess I texted both of you, but uh, Elliot was the one who answered. It's amazing that this movie uh, makes me angry about the treatment of characters I did not like in the first place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, if you're not a big fan of Tom and Jerry, I don't know if uh, when you peaked at the runtime, you're ready for an hour and 45 minute slice. I mean, yeah. what's great is if you're not a big fan of Tom and Jerry, they are not the stars of the Tom and Je- a movie called Tom and Jerry. So there's that. Yeah. Uh, I also have never really liked the Tom and Jerry characters. I found them uh, to be when I was a kid, I just found them pointless. I was like, they don't have much personality. I don't understand why they're doing these things or why I should care when the, Lo- the Looney Tunes cartoons are so readily available for me at the same time. And those characters mm-hmm. are brimming with personality. And I wanted to uh, quote, uh, this is a discussion I was having yesterday with an anonymous source who is familiar with John Hodgman's thinking on this topic. And this anonymous source who is familiar with John Hodgman's thinking on this topic, very familiar, more familiar mm-hmm. than probably anyone else with John Hodgman's thinking yeah, on the topic. Yeah, continue. He said to me, and mm-hmm. I quote, uh, or he or she, this source, anonymous, yep, said you. to me, Tom and Jerry always sucked. They're always sour, mean-spirited, joyless, and stupid. Tom and Jerry <laughs> were always a crime against inanity. And he seemed very proud of that <laughs> that wordplay at the end there. Uh, this anonymous source is very familiar with John they, Hodgman's yeah. thinking. Yeah, he, he, she, they, I don't, I don't, I don't, it's hard to know what pronoun to go by. Uh, yeah. But it's someone who's very familiar with John Hodgman's thinking. And I agree. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. The, the, I was thinking about this, like, why... Do I find Tom and Jerry so hateful when I love the Roadrunner uh, Coyote cartoons? Because they're both based on this sort of uh, unending chase, uh, being locked mm-hmm. in this battle with your your uh, your cartoon, uh, yeah. you know, persecutor. But the thing is, yeah, an- animated nature, it, red in tooth and claw. Yeah, it's just the primeval yeah. cycles of life. Yeah, <laughs> sure. The thing is, like the the Roadrunner, you know, has a certain insouciance uh granted but he does not like he's not there to like bedevil the coyote so much as the coyote wants to eat the roadrunner and the roadrunner basically ignores him like like all of the coyote's injuries mostly come from like his own attempts to kill the roadrunner roadrunner backfiring if anyone has ever been hoisted on their own petard it is wild e coyote for sure yeah yeah i mean he buys petards all the time i mean i use this term a lot but i feel like there's a certain certain amount of emotional distance in the roadrunner Mm. that i feel like i can identify with this idea of constantly chasing this this hopeful (laughs) dream that you can never you'll never get yeah whereas tom and jerry i'm like who am i sympathizing with here the early Roadrunner cartoons also have a style to them that is very cool. You know, the later ones, not so much. By the time Wile E. Coyote has those ones where he's, like, building a giant coyote robot and walking around on its head and stuff, th- those ones are not quite there. But there's a certain yeah. uh, there's a certain modern style to them that goes a long way towards creating a, creating a distanced, hilarious tone. But Tom and Jerry is just these two assholes beating each other up all the time. Well, that's the thing. Like, uh, you know, you could think of— you shouldn't blow a, a a Roadrunner short up into a full length movie either. But at least you they don't are run trying. <laughs> but at least you don't run into the same problem you do with Tom and Jerry. Where I'm watching it, I'm like, okay, like where are my sympathies supposed to lie here? Mm-hmm. Because like, I think they want me to think that Jerry's this like lovable trickster, and like you know, sure, Tom wants to get him, and that's understandable, but. Whereas like like Jerry just comes off as a constant asshole, and I'm like 
yeah, Tom, eat him. That's your job. Your cat, eat that mouse. Like, you know. Well, <laughs> Do there's it. Jerry, Jerry, yeah, he's, he's, uh, he is really, and we'll get into it. He's, he's coded here as like, yeah, he's, a, he's the lovable scamp who's always getting his way and you gotta love him. Hey, hey, he, you can't, you just can't, he's so irrepressible. You can't stop. And that really parallels the heroine of the movie who is a liar and a con woman who basically cheats her way to success. And, Tom uh, has to be. No, she a, is forced to by being a mem- part of the gig economy. <laughs> That's mm. true. It is hard to survive. Being part of the working class of this movie. She is a Generation Z gig economy worker. Um, but the it's a yeah they they kind of felt like they needed to say how do we make how do we make the cat chase and try to kill the mouse without the cat being the villain because we want both characters to be sympathetic. We can't have the cat and mouse be friends. We tried that on the Tom and Jerry show from the late 70s, and it did not work. And Jerry no. cannot ever wear a bow tie again because we just don't want to bring any <laughs> memories back about that. Okay, we'll make the mouse a total dick. Like, we'll just make the mouse a uh-huh. dick that everything always goes right for. So the audience so desperately wants the cat to murder him. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Okay, well, guys. should we get into it? Let's get into it. So this is Tom and Jerry. It's directed by Tim Story, who you may know. Dan loves his Fantastic Four films. Uh, and <laughs> something the audience should know before we talk, talk about this in more depth. This is a live-action movie where every animal is a cartoon, even background oh, animals. Even okay. there's a scene in a fish market, and all the dead fish are animated. They go. That's to, what yeah. I'm saying. <laughs> so, like, if you go to eat, a, get a fucking burger, right? The yeah. meat part is going to be animated. <laughs> it should be. Yeah. We never see anyone eat a hamburger, but it should have been. I mean, yeah. This is one of the times when the movie makes a decision that theoretically I can see, like, oh. This is interesting. Like it's it's going against some of the things that I don't like in movies like this, but it opens up a whole new can of worms that is worse. Like you I mean, that wanna... can would be full of animated worms. <laughs> animated worms would be like, "Hey, boss, what you doing? Gonna put me on a hook?" Because uh, I think you don't want to see a thing like Sonic that we've seen so many times before, where it's just like this is literally like from they're from another world and they're here. And they're one of a kind. Or like the Garfield movies. Like, I'm so happy they did not make them a photorealistic CGI cat and a photorealistic CGI mouse. Like, that would have been a bigger mistake. The the fact that, like, they aren't one of a kind, which is an admirable thing. But then you have to go the other way, this movie seems to think. Like, okay, everyone's a cartoon animal. And then you're like, okay, so are we living in Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Are these, like, toons? No, they're actual animals. But everyone's interacting with them in the way they would real animals and that's the, but yeah they it's, see- it it exists kind of like in the muppet type world where even though kermit the frog can talk and play the banjo and walks on two legs he's just a frog you know yeah uh i will say this he, okay here's the here's the positive side of this and i'm going to say the negative side of this the positive side is the animation and the special effects in the movie are great a lot of work was put into the animation it looks fantastic they they it interacts amazingly well with the live action world that it's in the side effect of this is it's very confusing whether, yeah, how people treat these animals, which they can communicate with. The animals hold jobs and things like that, but they're still treated as pets. Yeah, like they can, they buy tickets to a baseball game, and then because they make the Yankees lose, animal control puts them in prison, in yeah. the animal control prison. And they, but also, almost all the animals in the movie can talk except Tom and Jerry. So the whole movie, I was like, are they handicapped? Like, are they disabled? I don't know. Why, why are they unable to, all except, there's only one other 
the other two animals that can't talk are, are Toots and uh, Goldie the goldfish because only male animals talk in the movie also. Well, but, and Droopy the dog can't talk because he's wearing a Hannibal Lecter mask. But he still talks through cage. the mask. He still talks That's, through the I mask. I didn't hear it. Uh, I... I do not think this movie's animation looks good or interacts with the world well. Uh, they're doing something here that I admire theoretically. Again, a thing I admire theoretically that in practice I do not like. Uh, they This movie is a computer animated film, but they have done the computer, computer animation to look like it is traditional cell animation, the old style. And I'm glad that they want to do that, but... And maybe it's just because I'm like too much of a cartoon person that I'm like my brain is attuned to this. Like it's like how Dude. you can see motion smoothing, nice. but your parents don't. Mm-hmm. Like I watch this and I'm like, this looks super weird to me. Yeah. Like it doesn't feel integrated to me. It feels like they're like just drawing over spaces, but also like. Yeah, you'll it's like see- when Sylvester Stallone sees the Expendables movies with all the fake bullet hits and he's like. Uh, looks good. And you're like, I don't I, think so. See, I would disagree. Also, I think Dan. I think Dan. You could argue that on aesthetic grounds, that aesthetically it's not pleasing to you. But I think the way there's a scene where Tom and Jerry destroying a hotel room, and the way they interact with the live action objects in that room is really well done. It's not funny, uh, but it's really well done. I'll say that. Sure, maybe that scene, but they. I'm sure it's a budget consideration. They save it up and they do it in like a couple of places. And then otherwise, I think it's actually pretty bad because they will have like, uh, for instance, Michael Pena will be walking the dog and you see him holding one of those like the end of a one of those stiff, uh, invisible dog walking uh, leashes. And you won't like see his hand interact with the dog in the same frame they will like do it so like the, the dog's face will block any connection between like what michael Pena's is doing what, what he's doing they'll they'll play a bunch of things in close up rather than master so you don't see the the cartoons like and the humans together so much it's it's like i i would see several plates where it's like okay well that's clearly a choice to hide the fact that they aren't interacting well although i will say one interesting thing i learned about this if they if they're like when they're interacting with like small objects themselves, they're holding stuff or whatever. That is photorealistic re- CGI that they did. Oh, uh, they didn't yeah, actually get a great. mouse to come out and pick something up, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that no, looks I think, really I good. Think that's a, I think that's a great. I'm not arguing against that. I think that's a great use of the technology. I'm just saying in general, I didn't. I was not impressed by the. Look okay, of this I think I think my I didn't have as specific a test as the Michael Pena holding a leash that's attached to a cartoon dog test. Uh, I mean, we can just uh, disagree on something without you mocking. Yeah, you don't have to win. I think we have to. (laughs) The movie opens with a couple of uh, of pigeons uh, singing a Tribe Called Quest song. And this was the moment when I was like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. You know, I've talked a lot... I've talked about how much I want to see movies filmed in pre-COVID New York. I love it. I love this city. But this felt a little bit like, not like this, you know? Mm. (laughs) No. I don't want to see New York like this. We, this is a real like a. Uh, it's not a. It's not a particularly realistic New York. Later on, uh, Tom will hide out in uh, one of Midtown Manhattan's many alleyways around uh, around Central Park West. Those don't exist. Uh, but this also something is going on in this movie where the soundtrack, as you'll notice as you watch the movie, is working so hard over time to make Tom and Jerry seem cool and hip and exciting. It's like wall to wall hip hop. 
anytime Tom and Jerry or anybody are doing anything. And we start with these animated pigeons who are rapping while they fly over New York. Then we see Tom and Jerry as classic newcomers to the city. Tom is riding the subway with his keyboard because it's established early on he's a talented keyboard player, a keyboard cat, if you will, Mm -hmm. while a rat real estate agent is showing off an abandoned car to Jerry the Mouse as an apartment. You know Jerry the Mouse is a newcomer to New York because he has a backpack, which is like Mm -hmm. shorthand for I just moved into the big city. Mm -hmm. The two of them first meet when Tom is busking in Central Park, pretending to be a blind piano-playing cat, and Jerry, this is him being a dick, tries to horn in by breakdancing in front of Tom and taking all the money. The two start fighting. Tom's keyboard breaks. The crowd turns on Tom when they realize he isn't blind. And the one really funny line, I think, in the whole movie when someone yells, he's just an ordinary piano playing cat. And they get really <laughs> mad. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about unlikability of characters. This is like one of the fatal flaws of the movie for me right off the bat is that Jerry, like, not only, like, yeah, tries to horn in, he breaks Tom's keyboard. Tom's keyboard, we are seeing, you know, we are showing him, like, he doesn't just do this as a busker. Like, he has... He has musical ambitions because he like looks up at John Legend on a billboard and imagines himself playing in a John Legend concert. Even though I like I, I it was so specific that I'm, I was sure that John Legend was going to show up in the I movie. I thought later so on. too. It's the classic <laughs> story, the classic story of a cat who wants to play MSG and yeah. just has big. It's just like to cat. It, uh, uh, a star is born, but it's a cat. I'm like, you don't, like, break a musician's musical instrument like that. Like, that that is a huge No, Dan, I disagree, thing. Dan. I think you do. I think you should. Okay. <laughs> wow. Like, like, which one? You got like, Armand White of... over here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but the point is, Tom is mad, understandably so. His livelihood has just been destroyed by Jerry. Chases Jerry through the park and bumps into Kayla, played by Chloe Grace Moritz, uh, she's biking through the park with a box of clothes, and it knocks the clothes all over the ground, which mm-hmm. for some reason causes her to lose her job. I'm not totally sure exactly why that happened. Uh, she like, works like a like as a like a Postmates person or something. Similar, she's like, right? a, but she was delivering a box of clothes or something. I don't. Maybe she's a. Hey. It's Postmates has spies everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Uh, she's some kind of task rabbit, uh, which mm-hmm. is not an animated yeah. animal in this movie, unfortunately. Uh, So she loses her job. She needs one. Jerry sneaks into a fancy hotel, and Kayla is apparently a regular at this hotel, just walking through the lobby getting free snacks. She ends up meeting a woman who is about to apply for a job staffing a fancy wedding at the hotel. Two famous social media influencers are getting married at this hotel, and they need a temporary event staff. And Kayla basically says to this woman, "Uh, actually, I work at the hotel, and you failed the test. Can I have your resume? And she steals the resume and applies for the job. Under this fake Which name, super okay. bummed me out, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't like this. This is the second time a character is introduced, and I, I take an immediate dislike to them because of their actions. But also, uh, so it is confirmed that they're social media influencers because I said that afterwards, and Audrey didn't remember anything about it, and she was baffled where I got that. But if you got it too, it's then... the, it is the only thing that is told to us about them that would explain why anyone cares that they're getting married. It's never All clear right. what they do, why they're rich and famous. They are just two social media influencers. Wow, who why are, are you talking are... shit about Colin Jost like that? Dude? Uh, well, I mean, I, no, <laughs> far be it from me to denigrate Colin Jost's one facial expression that he wears throughout the entire movie, no matter what is happening at any given yeah. point. Uh, uh-huh. His total lack of of chemistry or charisma with the woman playing Prita, his fiance, uh, <laughs> who who looks far more lov- lovingly at Chloe 
Grace Moretz it a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Very much so. Uh, but again, this this kind of lack of charisma on Colin Jost's part has not failed to bring him to the top of television comedy and bag him Scarlett Johansson. So I really can't. I guess there's just something there I don't see. I guess I just oh, don't. Oh, wow. You must have read his fucking vows with that one. <laughs> <laughs> babe, ba- babe, I knew I bagged a good one when. Anyway, uh, but this by this point, it is very something is made clear to the audience in this movie. This kid's movie about a feuding mouse and cat will mostly concern itself with a celebrity wedding and how that wedding affects a young woman's career in the hospitality industry. That's <laughs> what the movie's about. Tom and Jerry. Yeah, and, and it is one of these things where you're like, that there's no clearer indication that the only reason this movie was made was that someone owned the property, Tom and Jerry. <laughs> because it's like... There's nothing in like the the outlines of the actual plot of this movie. It's like, oh, someone with a passion for the material made this. They're like, no, okay, we've got Tom and Jerry. Uh, we think that Tom and Jerry. We did some testing. It's not very good against uh, y- with young women. So uh, I don't know. Let's get a story of a young woman making her way in the world in there. Uh, it, it's just it. All of it seems like just awkward pieces of screenplays that like down at the screenplay factory that got fitted together. Speaking of that, uh, I'm doing a little detective work here, and I can see behind Dan in a trash trash can. There's a uh, a script that is titled "Untitled Celebrity Wedding Script." Uh, I guess Dan's <laughs> mad because this scooped him. You can't see the Zoom recording, of course, because this is a podcast. But uh, uh, Stuart delivered that so convincingly that I looked behind myself. Dan, for a moment, there thought was there was a garbage can behind him, even though yeah. he, that's his room. Uh, I would I would say this Tom and Jerry falls into the it's kind of like the later Marx Brothers movies where there's a couple Mm -hmm. that has a problem and the Marx Brothers are there to service the needs of the couple not in the not in the sexy way that that just sounded like that I described Uh it as Uh, Tom and Jerry are basically there to like just just bring a little bit of extra jazz to the exciting story of a young woman lying her way to the top of the hotel (laughs) event management industry. Uh Okay, yeah. guys. No matter how many Michael Peñas she has to step on to get oh, there. Oh, yeah. It's the, uh, it, it's again, once again, a movie where they're like, hey, how do we get some uh, some people of color into this movie? How about we have them be the obstacles that the white hero needs to needs to step on? Like, uh, guys, no, you're not doing it right. Come on. Yeah, I I did say, I, like, I when I when we were watching, I said this, like, I don't, like, I feel so bad, like, having to, like, you know, watch this dumb kids movie through this lens like like you know tim story is a is a a black director one of the few like blockbuster black directors i think he did make an effort to like have this movie be more multicultural than this sort of film usually is Mm -hmm. but unfortunately also the fact that he has chloe grace barrett's this young white woman who does not appear to actually have uh, many like huge problems other than you know losing her previous job uh, you know like lies her way to the top by yeah like Just basically like getting Michael Pena uh, not fired but close to it you know I mean, he does it, essentially it, get fired at one point but he gets back yeah he gets somehow and all, and the, the he gets back by destroying a wedding guys. yes that too <laughs> yeah and and most of the animals have except for Bobby Cannavale as Spike the bulldog most of the animals mm-hmm. are voiced by black performers and, and actors of color and it's like a way of getting their voices into it but it again it just it when you like don't really have it's like there's one 
The movie There's hasn't really, thought it through. <laughs> yeah, it kind of yeah. hasn't thought it through. Anyway, uh, yeah, so, it was when we when we saw that uh, Bobby Cannavale did the voice for Spike in the credits. Charlene was like, "That's why I'm attracted to the dog." <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Tom, he's accosted by some tough cats in an alley. They're called the Paper Cut Boys, I think, in uh-huh. the credits. Uh, yep. In the it, as I said, one of many of New York City's midtown alleyways. Uh, he escapes by calling animal control on them, and meanwhile, Jerry moves into the hotel and sets up the little like mouse cave for himself where he's got like a uh, a smartphone set on its side so it's a big screen tv and uh-huh. like there's there's so many i <laughs> feel like nolan was so fucking mad when he saw that <laughs> <laughs> there's there's so many moments in the movie that are just jerry kicking back in his pad while hip-hop plays on the on the soundtrack he has a fucking mouse-sized door for his room. Like that, that was the was, first mistake. That was one of the one of the few other jokes in the movie where I was like, "Well, I do like that he somehow built a mouse-sized door that looks like all yeah. the other hotel room doors." And a, and a mouse-sized revolving door to the front of the hotel. Yeah. Well, the thing is, like, uh, there would be like the occasional individual joke that I would enjoy, but it is like it hammered on to such a rickety structure that you gotta <laughs> hope that in an hour and forty-minute comedy, there's gonna be at least a handful of jokes that yeah, exactly. that land. Uh, Kayla, uh, Chloe Grace Moretz, she cons her way through an interview with the hotel manager, Mr. Dubros, played by Rob Delaney, who is consistently very funny in the movie as a as a bumbling hotel manager, I thought. And Michael uh, Pena is her foil, and he, like, he gives it his all. Like, he, this yes. is like his audition reel to be the villain in a movie where the star is a dog, basically. When, like, in the, he is when, great. When, when Michael Pena is forced to stop in the middle of the street later on because he's walking Spike, and Spike is off camera making a huge dump in the middle of the street, like <laughs> Michael Pena is selling animated. the moment. Yeah, yeah. I, you, you don't get to see it, but Michael Pena is selling this moment. He is not half-assing it, and I got to give him credit for that. His character, Terrence, is the events manager of the hotel. He does not like a person who he suspects is a liar being made basically a second in command. But he mm-hmm. introduces her to the hotel staff. There's the goofy bellhop girl who's kind of weird. There's the cool bartender, Cameron. There's the high-strung chef, played by Ken Jeong. And meanwhile, while they're and doing she's, this— she's—I just need to clarify. She is hired— as a temporary manager for this celebrity wedding weekend. And if she plays her cards right, she might get a full-time job, which, I mean, I know she's gotten this job under false, like, fucked up circumstances, but that's a messed up fucking carrot dangling, right? (laughs) Uh, I mean, I guess it's almost, it's more the fact that they're hiring this person the day that the couple is arriving. Rather yes. than like it's it's the wedding's on a Saturday and they're they're doing this on a Friday it seems like yeah and you know? they're also like putting her up in a suite <laughs> like they're like yeah she also we need lives to in the hotel you on on <laughs> the premises for helping in this big wedding and then they're like they gave her the nicest room and. It's so crazy. Anyway. Uh, so meanwhile, Tom and Jerry are having hijinks on the side. Again, that's the movie kind of in microcosm, uh, a plot about a woman dealing with a celebrity wedding while Tom and Jerry on the margins are just kind of hitting each other with things. Can I say something uh, about Of course Chloe you can. Grace Moretz. Thank you. Thank you, sir. <laughs> um, no, uh, no, I like Chloe Grace Moretz generally. Like I've liked her in previous movies. But here, uh, Not, I don't know. The f- uh, how do you feel about her in real life, the times you guys have hung out? Uh, you know, uh, she seems like she has a wall up, but that's because she's, you yeah. know, she's famous. Like people yeah, who are famous just have to do it. To... You never know what no, people I... want from you. Yeah. You can't let them in no. too close. <laughs> I, I just feel like in this movie, you know, maybe it was bad direction at fault. It seems like she's been told to make a face every second. <laughs> like she is, she just does not stop moving her expression in this film. And I think it's. Someone along the line, you know, whether it's 
a bad choice that she's made in this particular role or the director encouraging something that he shouldn't have. He's like, this is a cartoon movie. You should also be a cartoon person. Animated, Look, Dan, yeah. we can't all be Colin Jost who cannot move his face. <laughs> well, yeah, he's going the full other way, which is <laughs> yeah. like, maybe if I pretend I'm not in Tom and Jerry, I can take the money without yeah. any bad parts. <laughs> I think I think so, she's... Sorry, what did you say, Sue? I was just going to say, this is when we're introduced to the celebrity couple, but it sounds like you have more to say about Chloe Grace Moretz's face, Elliot. I, I, no, I, her performance, her face, I have no real comment on. Uh, I think she's, I think she, like everyone else in the movie, is trying her best. They're trying to bring this material to life, and it's just the material is so not there that uh, it leaves all the performers kind of flailing a little bit yeah. to try to try to make it work. But you're right, the celebrity couple is here. It's Paula Sharda as Prita, the bride to be. She's marrying Ben, played by Colin Jost, and. Uh, it's unclear, as we said earlier, exactly why they're famous. They're social media influencers of some mm-hmm. kind. They bring in Spike, the bulldog voiced by Bobby Cannavale, and Toots, the fancy lady cat who does not talk because only male animals talk in this movie. Uh, then we got to go to the kitchen where Chef Ken Jeong, he sees Jerry, and he freaks out. So Kayla vows, I'm going to catch this mouse. Don't worry. We can't have a mouse in the hotel, even though every hotel in New York, I'm sure, has thousands of mice in it. it just as every restaurant has thousands of cockroaches. It's what it means to live in a city, guys. Look, we're the alpha vermin on Earth, humanity. There's a reason mm-hmm. when we create habitats for ourselves that mice Rats, roaches, and pigeons feel right at home because they are also vermin. They they know their own. Look, so if you're going to have a thing in a city, there's going to be mice and rats and roaches and pigeons. That's just the way it is. Wow. Vermin knows vermin. I didn't realize I was doing a podcast with Rorschach. Yeah. And- <laughs> Look, someday the vermin are going to ask me to help, and I'm going to say no. I will say about the I will say about this couple, uh, big miscalculation in likability number three. Like, they're fine. They seem to genuinely, like, care about each other. Like... Like, no, I, Stuart's laughing, but, like, on a personal level, like, they seem to have, like, painted these people as, like, nice enough people. But for a screenplay, the fact that they don't appear to do any work at all and are, like, just sort of engaging in this overt consumption the whole time. Like, to make their fantasy wedding the cornerstone of this movie, even though the movie makes a slight attempt to make that not true at the end although what happens is although it still does yeah yeah exactly like it seems like a a particularly bad miscalculation for this moment in history i think dan what you're forgetting is kids love wedding stories kids love Mm -hmm. stories about weddings they love attending weddings they're always on tenterhooks about whether weddings are going to go off as planned the it is (laughs) uh much like uh superhero comics have been criticized for years as being the, the writers want to write about characters their age rather than characters that kids are interested in. The right. writers of kids' movies often seem to write about stuff that is – I wouldn't be surprised if someone involved in this movie was planning a wedding while they were while they were producing <laughs> it. But I think they made yeah. a mis- – the, the mistake I think they made is they want this couple to be likable. There's a yeah. version of this movie where this couple is a bunch of pre- – couple of prima donnas. Kayla is bending over backwards and mistreating Tom and Jerry to make their dream wedding come true and then realizes, why am I doing this? This is a ridiculous job. I shouldn't do this. My friendship with this cat and mouse is more important. And she throws it away to be a happier person. There's a version of that movie. This yeah. is yeah. not that. In this one, they're a lovely couple, and it's okay that they want elephants at their wedding. Maybe, they, maybe yeah. they're trying a little too hard, but otherwise, damn it, these social media influencers are just good folks. They're down to their 
even though they live in a hotel with cartoon elephants <laughs> exactly. and tigers. Yeah, and yes. there's something about this like mega rich couple who have no friends, no no one else around them, and they <laughs> quickly become friends with the staff at a hotel. Yeah, I mean, Char- Charlene wanted to point out, having worked in hotels for quite some time. That doesn't all, you, the the staff don't get invited to the ceremony. <laughs> yeah, that, no, that is what like uh, Audrey at the end of the movie is like. Why is the whole staff just standing here at this wedding? Except for the yeah. bartender who has to fucking work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, classic schlub always has to work. Uh, yeah. The bartenders always get the worst end of the stick. It is a uh, there is although he does to... get to drink champagne out of like a fucking golden goblet at the end. So like <laughs> yeah. I guess I guess they're pretty chill with their staffs <laughs> drinking at event. I don't know, man. But it is it is true that it is there's an unta- untapped. Uh, vein here about how these famous people are so eager, <laughs> have no one in their <laughs> lives except for Preeta's dad, who there's the running gag that doesn't really work is that Ben is super obsessed with trying to impress Preeta's dad. Uh, and they have no one else, so they have to be friends with the hotel staff. It's like uh, the first season of I'm Alan Partridge, you know. So, ke- <laughs> so Kayla vows to catch this mouse. She sets a trap for him, but she's so busy flirting with camera, she doesn't see uh, Jerry steal the cheese in the trap and leave a taunting mouth, a taunting note for her, which means she knows already. This mouse knows English and can write and form <laughs> sentences and has good it, handwriting. Yeah, this is a problem for two reasons. Number one, our earlier cartoon question about what world we're living in here, because she reacts with, like, the movie splits the difference by having her be mildly surprised that a mouse has left her a note. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, so I guess it's somewhat unusual. Yeah. But then also, like, they all through the rest of the movie, they're doing, like, elaborate charades to communicate. It's like, well, apparently he can write. And, <laughs> and at one point, Tom writes something, and she's like, oh, your E's are backwards. And it's like, dude, this cat just wrote a note. Like, <laughs> yeah. my yeah. son, his E's are backwards sometimes. That guy used his fingers like inflatable balloons and wrote his name with them. That's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, there's, why are you playing the keyboard? That that skill will get you somewhere. There is a there's a scene later where like yeah. Tom is cleaning out his ears with his tail. Like he threads his tail into one ear and out the other. And Michael Pena walks by and goes, Get your tail out of your ears. It's disgusting. And like I liked that. Like how he was not surprised to see a cat stick its tail through its ears. But uh-huh. okay, that night. Uh, this is when Tom and Jerry's rivalry really picks up again because the devil and angel on Tom's shoulders, both voiced by Lil Ray Howery. They convince him it's time to go after Jerry after Tom falls down nine or 10,000 times trying to climb up this uh-huh. building. It takes forever. He gets in. They have this hotel room fight that I thought was really impressive that Dan was like, yawn, ho-hum. Uh, uh-huh. And <laughs> Kayla walks in, catches them doing it, and hires Tom to catch Jerry. Mr. DeBross immediately approves. He loves the idea of having a cat on staff at the hotel yeah. with a name tag. I get it. Terrence, guess what? Doesn't like it. Not a fan. No. Yeah. I, so, I like I like that uh, Rob Delaney's character. Like he's not necessarily a buffoon. He's just kind of like too pleasant. <laughs> like, he's fairly buffoonish. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's not. I mean, but like you know, there's no point at which like I don't know the giant dog like takes a bite out of his pants and he's got big red underwear or something or like he like no, he's that's not true. made out to be an idiot. He's just sort of like trusting and pleasant you know? He's, he he definitely uh benefits also from being uh just kind of peppered throughout the movie so yeah. uh he doesn't have to do a lot of plot carrying he can just kind of be a it's the kind of role that like peter sellers would do in uh like a big stuffed full 60s comedy where he would just kind of wander through the movie and be funny and wouldn't have to yeah. w- and wouldn't have all the pressure that the other people have so jerry almost gets caught by toots Preta's cat 
Uh, and then mm-hmm. Jerry meets Kayla. But we don't have time for the cartoon animals. There's tension at the Prita Ben wedding because Ben <laughs> yep. cannot stop making this wedding bigger and more complicated. He wants elephants, he wants peacocks, and Prita takes Kayla aside and admits she lost her engagement ring. Oh, no. This is what the movie's going to be about for a little bit, people. Just deal with it. And this is, meanwhile, when Terrence walks Spike and Spike makes a big poop in the road. And uh, yeah. and Terrence has to yell at a taxi cab that this dog is pooping, and that's why he can't get out of the road. Mm-hmm. It's I, I not, and I, it's never, never have I wished that Michael Pena more could have had the dignity of being Mr. Rourke in Fantasy Island than this moment, you know. Thank you, yeah. I, I would like to postulate, by the way, that by the, you know, the moment it leaves the cartoon dog's butt, it becomes uh, real poop and not cartoon poop. I think that <laughs> Stuart is so disappointed. I think it's real poop the whole time. I think it's a real turd coming out of a cartoon dog's dog's butt, and that <laughs> cartoon and, dog. <laughs> cartoon dog. That's how cartoon dogs poop is through their penis, not through, not through the other end. But okay, man. I think if if it's because it's not an animal, like an ovipositor or something. <laughs> it's like a cloaca. The cartoon dog has a cloaca. That's that's basically what it is. So okay, Jerry. It turns out. So wait a minute. The, then at what point does the cartoon animal flesh become? Not cartoon. That's when it's a good in question. In a person's it's, body, it's during Does a the person di- has my it's, stomach developed enzymes to transform tunes into regular flesh? <laughs> yes, it's like called fucking dip. dip. It's yeah, naturally occurring dip in the human stomach yeah. and the animal yeah. digestive system. In fact, that's what digestion stands for: is dip, ingesting, gestation, <laughs> Thank you. eating yeah. some turds. <laughs> so, uh, or eating so turds. If you eat it, that becomes it. That's how what digest stands for. Oh, Work digest. it out, Dan. It all, it, no, yeah. no. At first, I thought you said it stood for. That's what dip stood for, and I'm like, I, the, you're adding letters in dip that I. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> this is only this guy. Is this from the novelization? Free, free no, dip some stands for over here. Dip stands for don't ingest people because it's <laughs> oh, not because okay. the naturally occurring dip in your body, your stomach has a chemical lining that keeps the dip in. But if you tried to drink that stuff, oh, it'd burn right through your esophagus. Anyway. Yeah. That's so, why That's why that candy is called fun dip. They have to specify that it's fun and not the dip that's inside your body. <laughs> exactly. Or else it'd be very so, confusing. <laughs> so when someone... Nobody when would some, buy it. When someone is eating, say, a plate of Except spaghetti Except for Judge meatballs, Doom. Judge Doom would buy it because he needs it to kill more tunes. Exactly. So in this movie, and the other thing is that all the bacteria and the microbes in your body are also cartoons. All the anything that's oh, okay. not a human in this is a cartoon. I mean, so Osmosis when you eat, Jones told us that, so yeah. Exactly. This is the same universe. It's the Osmosis Jones Cinematic Universe, the OJCU. <laughs> now, when you order a plate of spaghetti and meatballs in this world, the meatballs uh-huh. are ground up animated, either beef, turkey, whatever, whatever type of meat uh-huh. it is. And but then, so it's a cartoon meatball. Maybe it still has uh-huh. an eye, or it goes. That's when it goes. It's oh, a living. Wow. Or it goes. It goes. It's a dying. And then uh-huh. you eat that, and the enzymes in your body, and the cartoon microbes, and the dip, turn it into live action poop. So there's only animated oh, okay. food. Plants. All plant food is live action, but animal based food also leather shoes, leather jackets. There must be uh-huh. some process they put it through that de animates it. True. Yeah, I never even thought about that. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of animal You know, nature. Nature's really horrifying, guys. Uh-huh. Uh, there's yeah. nothing so natural about turning animals into leather <laughs> jackets or shoes, Dan. That's not a naturally occurring <laughs> process. No, I'm That's... talking about our natural dip that we have. Hey, oh, okay, speaking of too, fun yeah. dip, did that mm-hmm. creep you out as a concept as a kid? Or not creep you out. Like, I I would, like, see that. I'm like, okay, so there's this, like, you got that uh, candy sort of just tongue depressor, right? That yeah, that you... kind of chalk stick. Yeah. Yeah, you got to lick that, dip it into the sugar, take it out, lick it off, take it. 
I don't know. It feels like there's a lot of uh, opportunities for sort of like lint and fuzz to be involved yeah. in that. And it's certainly and not it was... a COVID safe candy. All that no. licking. It's certainly not. Don't share that with people during the pandemic like, time. Even as a messy child, I was like, this is not this is too much for me. <laughs> yeah, I was never a fan of it. Anyway, it turns out Jerry has the ring. He's he's setting it up as a chandelier in his house. Uh, Tom manages to catch him in a kind of Rube Goldberg type trap and mails him away somewhere, uh, stealing yeah. a little bit of Garfield right that. Uh, J- Tom is celebrating. Everyone's celebrating. He's playing piano. He serenades toots. But Jerry shows up. Uh-oh, he escaped, and he attacks Tom. And they Kayla's like, hey, what are you doing? And Tom, Jerry mimes to Kayla, you can have the ring if I can stay in the hotel. And she's like, oh, okay. But then Terrence almost catches them. But luckily, Spike, who Terrence has just finished walking, he had that big live-action poop that was turned by the natural dip in his stomach from cartoon to live-action. But then Spike comes in and causes a big fight with Tom and Jerry, culminating in what's described in the movie as an animal fight whirlwind, I think they call it. And it's just a— it's a three-dimensional visualization of what you see in cartoons when there's just a cloud of dust that animals uh-huh. are fighting in. It wrecks yeah, it, it creates the- it creates like a singularity where things are being pulled closer in, mm-hmm. and time changes a little bit. But a little bit. Right. And the closer yeah. you get to the animal whirlwind event horizon, the slower yeah. time goes, and also the longer and thinner matter becomes. So it's yeah. very fascinating stuff. Kids might miss it, but there's you know that's what that's why there's that old lady. When Chloe uh-huh. Grace Moritz runs out, there's that old yeah. lady who goes, "I'm you," and it just <laughs> yeah. like passes. Yeah, that's that's yeah. for the uh, that's for the adults in the audience. That's an Easter yeah, yeah, egg t- to understand. Yeah, uh, yeah and, and, and and Matthew McConaughey is watching the whole time, and he's just fucking bawling. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, it wrecks the lobby. It even wrecks the the ceiling of the lobby. Like there's just a huge hole in the ceiling now. It's fixed, I think, within two scenes. Uh, Mr. Debrose <laughs> fires Terrence and puts Kayla in charge. What? How else could you do it? Uh, so Kayla, she has a rooftop talk with Tom and Jerry, and she tells them, "Hey, you can stay if you stop fighting." The only way for you to stop fighting is to bond on a sightseeing tour of New York. So she calls <laughs> up a black car for them. Uh, they are. Traveling around New York, doing New York things, they go to a very inaccurate rendition of the Natural History Museum. Are the dinosaur uh-huh. skeletons and stuffed saber-toothed tigers animated? Yes, they are. They're cartoons. Yeah, they yeah. go to a fish market full of cartoon fish where fish uh-huh. are being thrown around, which is a fucking Seattle thing. That is not a yeah. New York thing. Yeah. That is not something that happens at New York fish markets. Thank you very much, Tom and Jerry. And we can, and we can tell from their their Instagram feed because they apparently set up a social media account. They're Instagramming <laughs> yeah. it. And at some at one point we find out, is it Prita is uh, apparently follows <laughs> A transition between scenes involves Prita scrolling past. So, okay, let's break this scene moment down. The cat and mouse that Kayla is trying to keep a secret because yeah. they live in her hotel. She has uh-huh. given them an Instagram feed or one of them already has an Instagram feed. Yeah. They are, and Prita, who is a major Instagram social media figure, she probably follows not that many other people. She follows yeah. either a cat or a mouse who has a social yeah. media feed. And up to this day, what have they been putting on that feed? Is, is it just Tom with pictures of himself being like, this is it, I'm finally going to get into that hotel room, and then crashing to the ground? You know, I understand. Or we had talked earlier about how there seems to be an unmistakable chemistry between Prita and, uh, and Kayla. Yes. And maybe... She is like kind of low key stalking Kayla, and she's like, "Oh, Kayla's following this cat and mouse. Maybe I'll follow them too, and maybe we'll just casually bring it up in conversation." Uh, I mean, we're the only two followers of this cat and mouse, so she'll probably <laughs> yeah. see that we I'm the only very follower. active. Yeah, they had a very active social media day. I mean, they went on the cyclone. All the, they <laughs> threw saw fish being thrown around. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, so- the limb is like uh, Kayla. You know, has been hired to take care of this uh, problem, and. 
you know, she's trying. She's doing like she's doing it in a very kind-hearted way. Let's broker a piece. But you know, it seems like Rob Delaney when he sees the expense report for a, a limousine for a cat and a mouse will get <laughs> angry about this. I think uh, she's hoping man. it's going to be hidden in the uh, the expense of rebuilding that like stained glass fucking <laughs> yeah. skylight. Yeah. I, I mean, all of this is going to be is going to be baked into the wedding fees. They're going to be charging them, you know, a thousand dollars for a cube of ice just to cover the the other stuff. Uh, but you're right. It is a she does seem she has hiring and firing abilities. She has the ability. She has mm-hmm. an unlimited expense account. She's been on the job for roughly three days by this point. And, <laughs> yeah. and there's not that many other people. Also, a hotel this size, you'd have to assume would have dozens of employees, you know, but yeah. there's they really have a singular bellhop. <laughs> that they have one bellhop. More people seem to work in the kitchen than work I mean, anywhere else already. In the hotel. Already, the uh, the hospitality industry is being crushed right now. Okay, there, and then we have to see this cat and mouse just destroy a fucking room, and you're like, "Come on, will they ever bounce back?" No, in a landmarked building too, so that that limits the kinds of renovations they can do. It makes yeah. it that much more expensive. Certain contractors they can't work with. This is all stuff that I'm kind of surprised the movie didn't go into because it doesn't seem that interested in the cat and mouse fighting each other. <laughs> Meanwhile, speaking of the cartoon elephants and peacocks have arrived at the hotel. The peacocks are strangely amorous in a way that's not fully a joke, but is kind of a joke. Uh, and pre- Rita tells Kayla, Ben's plans for the wedding keep getting bigger and bigger, and it's really stressing her out. But the problem is they're always in the public eye, so they can't ever disagree or argue with each other. They've lost the ability to argue with each other. It's like us, right? Exactly. No, if anything, we need to lose a little bit of our ability to argue with each other. Uh, (laughs) And and she just doesn't know how to say no to Ben. Meanwhile, as Stuart mentioned earlier— Tom and Jerry, they're at the at Yankee Stadium. Tom catches a ball that he, uh, he should not have reached over the edge when the ball was going into the glove of the outfielder. It should have been the game-winning ball for the Yankees. It's implied that they would have gone all the way if they, uh, mm-hmm. if they didn't have it, uh, if they had caught it. They get taken away by mm-hmm. Animal Services. Curse of the see- Bambino. That's what that is, right? <laughs> <laughs> yep. the, no, the, the, the Curse of the Bambino wasn't on the Yankees. It was on the Red Sox. Tom? What? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they see uh, Droopy and a Hannibal Lecter mask in the uh, in in Animal uh, Control, and it's <laughs> sets like, up a sequel. Set, I mean, I would so much rather see a Droopy movie than a Tom yeah, and Jerry movie. Yeah. Again, I don't know how you fill I mean, an hour and a half with Droopy. Also, but. that was the one thing in the movie where I'm like, okay, well, this is providing me some kind of new insight into uh, one of these cartoon characters because I'm like, oh yeah. Droopy does have kind of that, like, <laughs> evil serial killer vibe. I see that. Sure, yeah. sure. I mean, the fact that he says, I'm happy, and he's displaying no emotion on his face whatsoever, exactly. like a sociopath or a Colin Jost. Anyway, so uh, he's, <laughs> that's, it, it's another example, too, of a joke in the movie where it's like, kids will love this reference to Silence of the Lambs, the, yeah. <laughs> the, the, serial, the transphobic serial killer film from 1990-whatever. Okay, uh, the street gang cats from earlier— <laughs> <laughs> the 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 street gang cats from earlier are there, and they taunt Tom into putting Jerry in his mouth. And this whole sequence made me very uncomfortable. They're like, "You eat it, then eat it. Yeah, yeah. Put it in your yeah. mouth. Swallow it down." <laughs> Luckily, Michael Pena shows in to in, shows up to interrogate them. He takes them into separate <laughs> yes. interrogation rooms, and uh-huh. suddenly there's all these split screens and like text uh-huh. on the screen. It's ve- yep. I could is this a parody second, or something? Yeah, second unit director Brian De Palma showed up. <laughs> <laughs> What's up? They would have this big cartoon text on the screen too that like 
were the weirdest choices of words. It wasn't like something that needed to be emphasized ever. And I never and quite I, understood. I, I kind of liked the sequence because it was like, yeah. it was silly. And I'm like, I don't know what this is a reference to, but whatever. <laughs> I, I assumed it had to yeah. be a reference to something, but at least, it, you know, they were doing something with it. Uh, he basically, he tells both of them, I can take one of you back to the hotel if you agree to work with me. But as we'll see, He's not being totally above board, but the yeah. wedding has started. Yeah, this he's, wedding he's, has... he's he's performing some uh, liaisons dangerous on these two, <laughs> making them both you, angry at each other. You better believe it. The <laughs> wedding begins, and this wedding, don't look in its wazoo, because it's got cartoon animals up it. It is just so oh. many cartoon animals everywhere. There are two very unfunny elephants that are just use internet kind of like abbreviations. They have voices uh-huh. like middle-aged British men, but they say like, oh, OMG, or like WTF and stuff like that. It was a, it's mm-hmm. a very confused characterization for these two cartoon elephants. There's a cartoon tiger there that looks genuinely dangerous. I don't know why yeah. you would have a tiger at your wedding. Prita, no. suffice to say, is very frustrated. Terrence mm-hmm. sneaks in with Tom, but he's also let Jerry loose. Uh-oh. Tom starts chasing Jerry with an enormous meat tenderizer hammer with spikes that literally cracks the floor when he hits the floor. Nobody yeah. seems to notice this. The wedding is oblivious uh-huh. to the fact that the, <laughs> the ground is being shattered to pieces under their yeah. feet. Nobody notices until Chef Ken Jeong sees Jerry on the cake and is so infuriated that he destroys the cake with a baseball bat trying to hit Jerry. I think it's a cricket cricket bat. Oh, actually. it's a cricket bat? Uh, my yeah. mistake, I apologize. Please take everything I've said with a grain of salt. Colin Jost, I apologize. <laughs> yeah. I guess I was not watching the movie co- close enough. Uh, yeah. Then, even then, many of the wedding attendees do not seem to notice the problem. That's how big this wedding is, until the elephants see Jerry and panic. They're yeah. falling all over the place. The tiger decides that's the moment to try to murder the other animals. Another singularity occurs in mm-hmm. the middle. Time bends and shifts. Yeah, another animal whirlwind. The wedding and the hotel entrance are destroyed. Uh-oh, what's going to happen? Kayla admits she lied, and Prita calls off the wedding, and I look at the timeline, and I see there's 22 minutes left in this movie. Yes. And I'm like, it, wasn't this supposed to be about Tom and Jerry? Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. did I get sucked into that animal whirlwind? <laughs> yeah. The exact same thing happened to me at, like, it must have been close to the same moment, because I'm like, like, yeah, it's at 21 minutes. I'm like, how is there that much time left? And then I comforted myself by reminding myself that it was a big blockbuster film and you know at least eight minutes of that would be credits <laughs> i definitely i salved my wounds yet with that with being like the credits remember the credits don't worry it's the credits <laughs> uh, did you actually did you guys watch through to the post credit scene uh i no. think i know that there is one from okay. the wikipedia well i'll tell you summary. about it when we get to it it's the maybe the least necessary post credit scene in the history of, of film oh, but great. okay so uh the movie you'd think this is where kayla like admits she was wrong and learned her lesson the movie is over nope Terrence is back in charge. He throws Tom out of the hotel. Tom sing, sleeps in a cardboard box in the rain while uh, that pigeon sings a sad song while flying over New York. The next day, Tom and Jerry— It's, it's basically the sad song from when Howard the Duck gets kicked out of uh, Leah Thompson's apartment, right? And he's I, like, mean, I have she's to assume like, it's, it, it, it functions. It fills the same evolutionary niche uh, yeah. as that song. Yeah. Uh, Tom and Jerry make peace. I don't remember how. I don't care. Uh, and Kayla and Cameron are, like, attending a street fair or something. And Cameron tells Kayla she's got to stop comparing herself to other people and just be her own great self. And she'll get ahead. And I was like, what movie is this the moral of? It doesn't seem like—it seems like the moral of this movie is don't lie your way to success. Because yeah. it's going to come crashing down. It's- it's very weird. It's and there's a little bit of a like don't hope for like don't hope above your station shit. Well, uh, I mean, uh, no, I, I, hmm. I would say the opposite. I would say it. 
make it is the moral is like it will make a a faint effort at saying that like uh honesty and hard work is important but then uh be like no psych uh because like the whole movie's like like this woman you know cheats her way to i guess the top of the, of the hospitality world i mean and, she's she, at cert, at that point she's second in line at the hotel somehow yeah so. and then she i mean briefly, she hasn't even filled out her union paperwork yet she briefly I, I, feels, I, I, feels there must be some moment when the wedding collapses and mr debrose is like i didn't even get her her w9 yet <laughs> yeah but she briefly feels bad about doing so and just the mere act of feeling bad everything is forgiven and it's fine like there's there's no point in this movie where i feel like look it's a, look it's a fucking time it's a kids movie kid, it's kids a family movie. Film. but yeah. like there's no idea that you have to like sacrifice anything at all well considering it, it came out around the same time as soul ostensibly yeah. a kids movie about yeah. how sometimes you have to give up your dreams of being a musician and enjoy the ordinary things in life because you're going to die soon like kids are yeah. I, there's some <laughs> world where there's a message between those two movies uh-huh. that is fit for yeah. children yeah yeah i mean i would have preferred if when she went to go meet her friend at the like uh market she was wearing a hair shirt out of contrition or something <laughs> yeah. like that maybe she was flagellating herself <laughs> you have to yes yeah, some sort of self-flagellation that it needed to be done uh anyway tom and jerry show up and they mime their way through suggesting saving the day by arranging a new wedding because you know what these two love each other despite the fact that we haven't seen anything really to back that up we know ben and Preta love each other and uh and this first, is like the next day right yes it has to be so yeah. like she scheduled a like a date or like a hang with this dude the for the next here's day? my guess here's my guess in the middle uh, he called her to check in on her, and, oh, and yeah. or she called him and was like, "Hey, I need someone with me right now because uh, I need just some help." I, I think they, I think it wasn't like they had a pre-scheduled get together. Probably, I don't okay. know. But also, you got to assume the guests at the wedding—they're still going to be at that brunch that was that was scheduled for the morning yeah. after the wedding. Like that, but they seem to have disappeared. They're all gone mm-hmm. when we are pretty much when we see this replacement wedding. Anyway, first they've got to stop Preta from getting to the airport and flying to wherever these characters came from. Cue the motorized skateboard chase, and this feels like you're just going to watch like a level from like a Tom and Jerry Super Nintendo game for a while. Yeah, and <laughs> yes, and it is the moment where you're like, well, you thought that that motorized skateboard and drone from earlier in the movie were extraneous details, but no, <laughs> they're key. Like, there's nothing extraneous in this clockwork plotting. <laughs> and yep. it's there's this is the moment where I was like. It really sunk into me. There's not a lot of jokes in this chase sequence. And I was like, Mm -mm. holy shit. I, a child, am supposed to care if Tom and Jerry can stop this woman from running away from her wedding. Like, (laughs) I can't. High society wedding? (laughs) Yeah. Not since Santa Claus the movie made me wonder whether a company was going to make profits off of toys that I guess they shouldn't have been making. (laughs) I don't know because they had Santa magic in them. Like, not since any movie about about a family about to lose its business, you know, that's ostensibly for kids. Like, anyway, I guess I want people who make kids movies to spend more time with kids so they see what kids are interested in because they're not really that interested in what the things that grown-ups do but that that's okay tom and jerry have a foolproof plan they merely kidnap Preta's cat from her car so that she has to run after it they lure her to a new wedding in central park that's right even though they followed her on the streets for a while she is at the same place that she started from it's and just that's a, like that's a pretty easy permit to get right 
a wedding yeah, well, permit that, for I was Central Park. The same thing. There ha- it's this huge wedding in Central Park that they are doing with no permits and no. But I guess they're famous. They can do whatever they want. Yeah, you, know? you can do whatever you want. Money buys. Uh, Kayla and Ben both take turns apologizing to Prita. Then, for some reason, we cut away to her dog farting and Michael Pena reacting to it. I could not understand why that that was included in this moment, except that they finally realized kids love farts, which is true. If I had been watching this <laughs> yeah. with my son, he would have laughed and laughed at it. Uh, they get married. The elephants and the tigers and all the cartoon animals are still there. So I'm like, what lesson did Ben really learn? Exactly. Yes. No. <laughs> this is a marginally less opulent thing than the previous wedding. In fact, like, it's I guess nicer. the fact I mean, that it's outside like, yeah. is the... It, no, it's still a wedding that is well out of the reach of most married couples. You know, yeah. uh, this crazy wedding. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you guys remember, but when I got married in Puerto Rico, Char and I spent ages trying to hire animated animals to <laughs> attend. <laughs> and Charlotte, and the thing is, our wedding planner kept saying they don't exist. And I'm like, I don't know what you're saying to me right now. I saw it in a movie. <laughs> you're like, I want Roger Rabbit to MC the wedding. What, what's the matter? Yeah. Is he think he's too big for us? He's a has-been. <laughs> yeah. Well, what about that baby with the cigar then? Uh, People would love that baby. That's the thing. <laughs> they would have loved I nor- it. Now, I normally say no children at weddings, but that baby, <laughs> he's got a real attitude, and I think that would go over well with my crowd. I mean, not to not to reveal too many details about Stuart's wedding, but in real life, your officiant was kind of the grown-up live-action version of the baby from Roger Rabbit. <laughs> that's, that's true. <laughs> he did. The, uh, the rente rabbi who showed up to our wedding did refer to one of our guests loudly as Tata's Grande, which isn't even completely Spanish. <laughs> no. Well, he was in Puerto Rico, so he figured he had to use the, yeah, some I kind of language. Yeah, I guess multicultural. What yeah. a weirdo. So uh, Kayla introduces Terrence to the woman whose resume she stole at the beginning, and it's implied that they're attracted to each other and that there's like a romance in the offing. Much like a Shakespeare and- play, all the characters must be paired off at the end. And it all, it sets up this like really uncomfortable power dynamic right there. Like that's not a good work work environment. No, yeah. not at all. Uh, but that's for Tom and Jerry too. Uh, uh, human resources. Uh, so then, yeah, the other the movie, thing kids by, love to hear about. Yeah, by all rights, the movie should be over by now, but it keeps going a little bit longer so that Jerry can screw up Tom's piano playing again, and they can start fighting again. Oh, Tom and Jerry, will you never learn? Cut to credits, and then the post-credit scene, wherein Ben finds out the hotel is charging him for two weddings, and it's very expensive. That was the last final joke that the movie wanted to leave you with after seeing the credits. Did Colin Jost? Did he? Did he give a big reaction? Did he give did, a kind of muted reaction? How would you describe it? I would say muted is the right. I would say uh, Buster Keaton-esque deadpan would be the way to describe his reaction to it. Yeah. He, so he didn't rent his gar- garments and say, ah. This has broken me. I, I don't have that much. I mean, you know? I, I don't know I, if he rent- turned out. What? I didn't know if he rented them or not. We didn't see a scene where he was fitted for a tuxedo, though. I got to okay. assume that they shot it. But yeah, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't. Oh, he, he did not get mad. So here's he didn't, he didn't have him. to give away his clothes and walk around with a barrel over his shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. It's the thing is, it's an animated barrel for some reason, and it opens that even more sense. questions about what. Yeah. Is there a place on Earth where all the tune animals come from, and they have tune trees that you can mm-hmm. make barrels out of? Is mm-hmm. there a? Do you have to have a special uh, barrel right to do that? I don't. Yeah, that's a good question. Questions that this movie just doesn't answer. But uh, let's do final judgments. Whether this is a good bad movie, a bad bad movie, or a movie we kind of like. Uh, guys, I want to say, you know, low key. 
this is the god of I mischief. Think, yeah, coming Loki. soon. Coming soon to Disney Plus. I think <laughs> he's this running is, for president. <laughs> oh shit! I, th- I think this is low key one of the worst movies we've watched, and I'll tell really? you why. Really? Well, tell because, us why, like, please. It has a sheen of professionalism. Martin Sheen. Like, everything is glossy. It is a big budget film with talented performers. A lot of talent put behind it, but I just find it so spirit deadening to watch and that's what bothers me about like i am not a guy who thinks that all entertainment has to be like art in the in the capital a like art sense and like and for kids certainly like i mean i think kids deserve quality but they also have a different idea of what quality is so that's fine as well but like this movie is the I said it earlier, there's no reason for this to exist other than the fact that Tom and Jerry has name recognition, someone owns that name, and then they set out to make the least original, least enjoyable version of that. And like I, I I'm also I'm all over the place with like whether I want my movies to have messages, how I feel about that. Like I like a movie that has a good message. I also like a movie that comes close to having no message i can like a movie that has a, a is like espousing a bad message ironically to like make you think about things i can even at times will like something that i think is a very bad message but i has been presented in a thoughtful way where like they've wrestled with something but this is just like a cavalcade of sort of like bad messages i think that have come up from completely unexamined just like Let's take the path of the least resistance, stupid fucking kids movie. <laughs> like, and it just made, it put me in a bad mood. So I hated this movie is my answer. What do you guys have to say? Yeah, I mean, this is, this is obviously clearly a bad movie. Uh, I'm sure there's a moment where I'm like, oh, it's all takes place in a hotel. French farce it is. No such luck. <laughs> uh, but what I'm going to say, there is there is a mo- there's a bit of optimism for me. Maybe 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 I'm drunk. Who knows? But this movie makes me think that there's a chance that finally somebody somebody's going to make a Mark Anthony and Pussyfoot movie. Finally. Uh, a cartoon character that I feel represented by Mark Anthony, the bulldog who loves a cat and is yep. occasionally berated by a woman with beautiful high heels and stockings. Yeah, yeah. As seen in the cartoon Feed the Kitty. Yeah. 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 Uh, so maybe, maybe there will be a Mark Anthony movie. Who knows? All uh, right. I, I just, and I love the idea that this housewife is like, walking around the kitchen with like these high heels and like, like classic stockings. I don't know. <laughs> Mark Anthony. Really? Exactly. <laughs> she always thinks he's trying to eat that cat. Uh, yep. So I and he gets so did, sad when he thinks the cat's in the I oven. Know. Yeah, it's amazing. Guys, if you haven't seen Feed the Kitty, you can you know it'll be on YouTube. It's such a good cartoon. I mean, it's probably on HBO Max. I think that's a Warner Brothers oh, yeah. cartoon. Yeah. Uh, so guys, I didn't like this movie. I thought it was not very good. I did not despise it the same way Dan did. Although there was a moment at the end of the movie where I was like. 
suddenly I kind of left my own body for a moment and was watching myself watching Spike farting at the wedding and was like, I, why am I watching this? Like, yeah. what am I watching? But da- guys, there's two things. There's two things that made me not hate it as much. One. Yeah. You also looked over at that giant hourglass that each grain of sand represents a moment of your life. And you're mm-hmm. like, oh, well, it's getting closer to death. Do, do not do not remind me about that hourglass, because now every time I watch a Flophouse movie, I'm going to be thinking about it. Uh, why did I buy you that hourglass? That was a mistake. I'm normally I'm, good at giving gifts to people. I'm just, I think you were so excited about the idea of finding an hourglass maker who could accurately tell you when I was going to die and, <laughs> and, and personalize this hourglass with the exact time. I was like, the sharper image has some really cool stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but two things that, that were saving graces. One is not, neither of them are really the movie's, uh, you know, uh, thing to be complimented. One, I did not have to sit and watch this with my children stuck in a theater as it was blasted at me through, through theater <laughs> speakers. Uh, my, I briefly, before I watched it, considered watching this with my older son. To, I was like, oh, maybe he would enjoy this if we watched together. Gl- glad we didn't. Uh, but two, if you're going to make a not very good movie about a legacy animated cartoon character and it's going to totally be full of messages that I don't agree with and, and messy plotting... So much happier for it to happen to Tom and Jerry than to the Looney Tunes characters, who I love. Like, watching this movie, I was like, ugh, but you know what? I don't like Tom and Jerry. If this was, like, a Bugs Bunny movie, I would be livid. I would be so mad. Yeah. So, at least, the only, like, it's like, if they make a bad movie and it's about Heckle and Jekyll, so be it. Who cares? We're Jinx and that other guy. But if it's about, if they made a bad movie about, like, uh, you know, Daffy Duck, I'd be real mad. So, I'm glad that this was a Tom and Jerry movie. You know, hey, uh, actually, this makes me think, um... That we're going to have to watch w- Space Jam 2 for this podcast? Yeah, yeah well, probably. Probably. No, I wanted to It's say, just going to be uh, Dan complaining about the Lola Bunny redesign. <laughs> <laughs> I can't masturbate to this bunny. <laughs> no, I... You can. I mean, I can, but it's a realistic masturbation. It's more of a relationship masturbate yeah, rather than a true. fantasy. A realistic <laughs> masturbation? Wait, it's more realistic. Well, you're masturbating Wait. to the Lola Bunny, the new Lola Bunny, you're masturbating to the fact that you'd probably really get along with her. You'd have a lot in common. Uh-huh. You'd enjoy being around her, and there's a long-term yeah. relationship potential, whereas yeah. the old Lola Bunny was just like... Just a one night stand fuck that you just you know it was know. so dirty and so wrong and you just loved it so much you know. I don't know that sounds that sounds pretty sweet to Why me. Why did I start no, this? No, what I wanted to say was what I wanted to say was the no. Uh, Audrey asked like she's like oh if you had to make a Tom and Jerry movie how would you make it work and I like told her something and then I realized I had basically. Like, I don't know whether I unconsciously stole it from Brendan or just, like, came up with it on my own and then remembered. But Brendan Hay, our uh, pal who has been on this show and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, was one of your groomsmen, Elliot. Like, yeah, he close friend that. of mine. We're currently we, – we were we were pitching a project just the other week together to Warner Brothers, so I should not have bad-mouthed the Tom and Jerry movie, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, he wrote that Rascal Raccoon book, which was basically what I – Sort of thought like, oh, you know, what would be fun would be to see the characters realize they're caught in this sort of endless cycle and then turn their ire at the cartoonist who has uh, put them there. And that's uh, sort of similar to the premise of of uh, his uh, yeah, it's like cool. that's, he wrote. That's very, that's very much what his book, Rascal Rabbit, uh, no, Rascal Raccoon, sorry, it's uh, Rascal Raccoon's Raging Revenge, I think is what it's called, yeah. uh, which I wrote the afterword for. Uh, 
you should, it's well worth picking up. I think if I was going to make a Tom and Jerry movie, hey, guess what? Tom and his family moved into a new house. There's a mouse there. His name's Jerry. Tom wants to get rid of the mouse. That's your movie. Like, done. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's yeah. all you and need. Make, like, it, make it 70 he, minutes at most. Yes, And you deal, at with most. The father's dr- you deal with the father's drinking problem, the fact yes. that he's accidentally blinded his daughter in a car crash. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> yes. Huh? Yeah, there's a freak <laughs> of some kind in the cellar of the house. in the basement, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they had a son who died in the car crash as well. Uh, the mother yeah. and the father have been coming up, have been uh-huh, growing JJ, distant ever yeah. since then. Yeah, of course. Uh-huh. And so, Georgi- so Jerry is short for Giorgio, the mouse freak that lives <laughs> yeah. in the cellar. <laughs> Oh, we did it. We cracked the code. Hey, I'm Janet Farney, host of the JV Club podcast. Ah, oh, high school. Was it a time of adventure, romance, and discovery? Class of 95, we did it! Or a time of angst, disappointment, and confusion. We're all tied together by four years of trauma at this place, but enjoy adulthood, I guess. The truth is, it was both. So join me on the JV Club podcast where I invite some great friends like Kristen Bell, Angela Kinsey, Oscar Nunez, Neil Patrick Harris, and Keegan-Michael Key to talk about high school, the good, the bad, and everything in between. My teenage mood swings are getting harder to manage. The JV Club. Find it on Maximum Fun. Macho man to the top rope. The flying elbow. The cover. We've got a new champion! We're here with Macho Man Randy Savage after his big win to become the new world champion. What are you going to do now, Match? I'm going to go listen to the newest episode of the Tights and Fights podcast, oh yeah. Tell us more about this podcast. It's the podcast of power, too sweet to be sour, funky like a monkey, woke discussions, man, and jokes about wrestlers' fashion choices, myself excluded. I can't wait to listen. Neither can I. You can find it Saturdays on Maximum Fun. Oh, yeah. Dig it. Now it is time to do a few messages from our sponsors. <laughs> the Flophouse is sponsored in part by ExpressVPN. Did you know that many internet service providers log your internet activity and sell that data on to other big tech companies or advertisers? To prevent ISPs from seeing your internet activity, protect your devices with ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is a simple app for your computer or smartphone that encrypts all your network data and tunnels it through a secure VPN server so that your ISP cannot see any of your activity. With ExpressVPN, you can easily hide your online activity from your ISP. You just download the app, tap one button on your device, and you're protected. And ExpressVPN does all of this without slowing your connection. That's why it is rated the number one VPN service by CNET and Wired. So stop handing over your personal data to ISPs mm-hmm. and other tech giants who mine your activity and sell off your information. Protect yourself with the VPN I trust to keep me private online. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Visit expressvpn.com flop. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash flop to get three extra months free. Go to expressvpn.com slash flop right now to learn more. I stopped doing that voice in the middle because it sounded like I was doing something creepy online rather Uh than just being, you know, a fan of privacy. Yeah. (laughs) Yep.
So uh, mm-hmm. sometimes a character character choice can come you can bite you in the ass. Is what I'm saying. The Flophouse is also sponsored in part by Squarespace. You can use Squarespace to create a beautiful website to showcase your new idea, blog or publish content, sell products and services of all kinds, and more. And Squarespace does this by giving you beautiful, customizable templates created by world-class designers with everything optimized for mobile right out of the box, a new way to buy domains and choose from over 200 extensions, free and secure hosting why don't you go over to squarespace.com slash flop for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code FLOP to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Now, Dan, I had an idea for a website, and I was wondering if Squarespace might, well, actually two websites, and I was wondering if Squarespace mm. might be, oh, able wow. to help me, be able to help me with either or both of them. I love your ambition. Let's hear about it. Okay, so the first, Dan, let's just face it. If you're a cat who's got musical dreams, it's hard uh-huh. to land a gig. You can't talk. You can write a little bit, and you do, let's just face it, you're naked. And people are mm-hmm. loath to hire naked performers unless that is the point of the performance, the nudity. Yeah. You do not see a lot of professional musicians who perform naked just around the time. Just try it. Go see a Yo-Yo Ma show. He will be wearing mm-hmm. pants. No matter yeah. how much you want it, he's, he's not going to take those pants off. So this is so there, I was starting to start a website called www.felinegig.com. It's your place, whether you're a cat musician looking for a job to find job postings, or let's say you're looking for a cat to perform at your venue, event, holiday party, family get-together, or just in your, the privacy of your own home. Let's say you just, you're having a, a rough day and you want to see a cat playing a French horn. This is your place to go, www.felinegig.com. And I was hoping that it would scale to like phones and tablets automatically. Do you think Squarespace will be able to handle that? I think Squarespace would be delighted to handle that for you, yeah. Elliot. I, I, I'm not sure that I'm ready to invest just yet. Uh, but uh, Well, then maybe like this is idea. more up your alley. Uh, okay. uh, uh, pun very much intended. This is called www.cartoonpoopmd.com. Okay, oh. here's the problem. Your poop has not fully digested, and it is still partly cartoon. Who are you yeah. going to turn to? Where are the doctors who can help you with this problem? And where are other sufferers that you can share notes with, maybe share pictures and videos with, and compare your stories? Well, that's at www.cartoonpoopmd.com. Please note, we are not doctors at cartoonpoopmd.com. The MD <laughs> stands for something totally different that I'm not at liberty to say right now because we're still working on it. But cartoonpoopmd.com is your place to find out what you should do if cartoon poop comes out of you it should be live action poop now cartoonpoopmd.com is not a substitute for actual medical advice it is just a place to go to share your experiences and maybe get referrals or recommendations of doctors that you can then go to to deal with your cartoon fecal problems dan is this something you would like to invest in uh i'll invest some thought in it for now you know i was i was i was (laughs) skeptical until i was skeptical (laughs) until i heard elliot uh luck upon a rhyme there (laughs) (laughs) What to do when cartoon poop comes out of you? <laughs> yeah, that's that's suddenly our slogan all of a sudden. Okay. Uh, well, those are our two fine uh, sponsors, but we also have a couple of Jumbotrons up on the big Jumbotron board. Uh-huh. It looks like Stuart has one queued up. Okay. Jumbotron. Get out. Happy egregious 50th, you sorry vanilla rimmer. Thanks for being... Thanks for being the best of mates and for putting me onto this batshit crazy podcast. 
There aren't many people who'd put up with my bullshit after all these years. My life wouldn't be as fun without you or the Mighty Floppers. To many more beers and many more years of taking the piss out of your sorry ass, go manly. This is a message for Dave, and the message is from Dallas. Hmm. I'm assuming that's all taken uh, in a positive way, yeah. I hope so. I just want to mention, as one of the advisors and founders of CartoonPoopMD.com, the, the piss uh-huh. should not be coming out of your ass. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, if it's in there, somebody should take it out, though. How did our Tom yeah, and Jerry you both episode... Have good points. You how, both... did our, how did our Tom and Jerry episode become so disgusting? <laughs> I don't know. It was the most scatological and urological one. They put the, the cat in scatological. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have another uh, Jumbotron. Yeah. Hey, guys. So this is for Dan Pollard. What if they it's... put the ska in scatological? <laughs> well, that would be like, deet, 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 but it's all fart sounds. Okay, mm. so that would be ska and scatological. Uh, gives a new meaning to the word mustard plug, which is a ska band. Okay, so this Jumbotron is for Dan Pollard. It is from Lily, and it goes like this. Happy birthday, you goof. You're 25. Time to finish developing your brain. Everything is difficult and the world is on fire, but at least you have podcasts and a dope girlfriend. You're a beautiful, brilliant badass, and you can do this as well as anything else you put your mind to. Here's to many more years together that are hopefully not quarantined. Yeah, we all, so that was a nice we message all hope that. From Lily to Dan Pollard. Couple of nice uh, messages that we mm-hmm. probably ruined. Probably. <laughs> what with our with what with our poop and pee talk in between them. Yep. Hey guys, I had something I wanted to promote. Can I talk about sure. that? Please. Yeah, why not? Sure. I'll will t- talk about two things actually. Hey, if you're listening to this episode and you must be, then you know that right now, or you don't know what I'm about to tell you, right now. Maniac of New York number two is on shelves and in comic stores. That's right, the second issue of my new series from Aftershock Comics with Andre Muti on art, Maniac of New York. It's like The Wire meets Jason, kind of. Uh, the second printing of Maniac of New York number one should also be in stores. The first issue sold out, so went back for another printing. So pick up number one and number two. If you already have number one, just pick up number two. And again, I've Feel sorry for all the number one and number two talk earlier in the episode when we were talking about you don't other sound that sorry, types of number one. Well, I'm more sorry that I'll get in trouble about it. Also, unrelated to Maniac of New York, the comic book sensation that's sweeping the nation, number two on on shelves now, is uh, the TV show that I worked on last year. Uh, it's a Fox animated show called Housebroken. The air date for the first premiere episode is announced, and that is May 31st. So stay tuned for Housebroken on Fox. Mm-hmm. I worked on it. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I'll tell you more about it as we get closer to it. Stu, you wanna you wanna plug anything, or should we? Move yeah, on? I'll I'll always plug uh, the bars that I own. Mm-hmm. If you're in Brooklyn, New York, you can go help out Minnie's Bar in Sunset Park and Hinterlands Bar in Kensington, Brooklyn. And if you are not anywhere near there and you want to support, you can always email me at hinterlandsbarmerch m e r c h at gmail dot com. And we're selling T-shirts, hoodies, bandanas, whatever. Email that email address, and I will respond to you. Nice. Off- okay. Offering well, offering international shipping. What? what? Wow. 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 Oh. Wow. Wow. Uh, oh, so <laughs> now it's time to answer a few letters from listeners. You're out there in the world listening to us. Uh, we can talk to you, but normally you can't talk to us, except right now. But only in a very limited way. It's letters. <laughs> Elliot, you know, had this look on his face like he was just sort of fact checking everything I said as it went. No, went by. it works out. It works out. Yeah. 
Uh, okay, well, this first letter. Hey there, Dad and friends. It's me, Gabe. I've come back from the future to warn you about your impending doom. If you thought 2020 and 2021 were bad, just wait till you see what happens to all the octopus and the super herpes outbreak 2025. Seriously, though, my name is Gabe, and I do have an older brother named Sammy. I also have two younger sisters, Annie and Alice, so I'm just waiting for Elliot to announce the inevitable. Oh, there's we we have we have made a strong decision in our family house that there will be no more children entering our family. So if there are, it is accidental. And I apologize to any future children who are hearing this. You were an accident. We still love you. Unplanned. Very unplanned. I mean, I don't want to jump ahead in the letter, but I'm assuming he's going to mention his two weird uncles, Stuart and Dan. Uh Nothing in here, but I assume that that's true. The current pandemic has meant that my wife and I have spent a lot of time at home watching a bunch of TV and movies. I've recently been trying to watch Modern Family for the first time and haven't really been enjoying it. Last week, I finally realized why. It's a show built on misunderstanding humor, and I hate it. 95% of that show revolves around simple issues that would be resolved instantly if people just used their mouths and talked to one another, explaining the situation. This is my least favorite trope in TV and film and frustrates me at how dumb it is. My question is, what tropes in TV and film are your least favorite and why is it misunderstanding-based humor? Love you, Dad. Gabe, last name withheld, could be Kalen. I agree. I, this is, I mean, I mean like, one, is... Gabe, I'm very proud of the, of the man you grew up to be in the future uh-huh. and now in the past uh, and your disappreciation of misunderstanding-based humor. I approve of that. Thank you. I hope you still have your interest <laughs> in spooky things, uh, which seems to be mainly what you're interested in now, holiday decorations, particularly Halloween ones. Yeah. I mean, I agree with this on misunderstanding. I mean, the first thing that came to mind was slightly related but uh slightly well and very related but slightly different is uh when people are trying to explain themselves the trope where they're like if you'll just give me a moment hold on just but just let me instead <laughs> of just it's, saying it, like it, the one sentence that would clear everything up like it was my sister or that person's actually dead i'm i'm mm-hmm. running from the cops or whatever the like she was choking situation. and i was giving her mouth to mouth that kind exactly. of stuff instead of being like but if you would just give us a oh as the door closes uh, yeah. yeah i must i must fluster for 30 seconds before i say anything but uh what are you guys is uh, i also i'm not a fan of uh misunderstanding based humor for the most part for that reason although sometimes uh sometimes it can still be funny i don't know what to tell you uh, I think, yeah. but I think uh, people who have listened to Flophouse are aware of my least favorite tropes in movies: prophecies, badass assassins, uh, movies where there's like a cool girl who falls in love with a boring, awkward guy who is very much a stand-in for the the person who wrote the movie. It seems uh, any of those types of things. But in TV, I would say my least favorite trope might be when hmm. Uh, I guess someone has to have a dinner for someone and they're embarrassed because like the dinner goes like your, your boss is coming over for dinner and things aren't going the way they want. And it's like, I, I don't like, this is not something that's happened. I think in 30 years that anyone has been expected to have the, have a new boss over for dinner. Like maybe if you're like, maybe I'm wrong guys, tell me if I'm wrong. Maybe it's just cause I work for famous people and they have no interest in hanging out with me or spending time at my house. But, uh, I've never been in a situation where I've had to like impress yeah. an employer outside of the office. You know. No, I don't think I don't think that's a thing that happens. 
well, I don't know. I mean, I've definitely had dinners with, I don't know. You're probably right. You're probably right. The, um, yeah, I mean, I, I was going to say, uh, because I'm not feeling overly creative right now, I think I'm going to complain about the, uh, the, the drama version of that trope, the misunderstanding trope. And that's the, uh, Every character has to have some elaborate lie that they're keeping from someone else. Otherwise, no, but there's nothing going on in the show. And so the show is just a, turns out to be a spider web of people's lies uh, connecting each other uh, because I just don't have the energy to keep up with it. And it is the sort of thing where you're like, no, just you don't have to lie. You don't have to lie that you had coffee with this person or if this person's like uh yeah I'm, let's go out for coffee just don't tell my husband that you have a, a different relationship with be like uh no i'm gonna tell him because uh he's my boss or whatever you know that sort of thing it's often it's often weirder <laughs> to keep the secret than it is to just tell someone it what is happens. and i i get that sometimes there's something hot about it but no cut it out <laughs> not every time <laughs> That reminded me of a trope that I actually uh, genuinely do like, uh, uh, but it was funny. I saw it in a movie I watched recently. Recently, I watched Masquerade. My friend, uh, my friends Tom and Aaron were running some uh, early, some 90s and uh, late 80s thrillers, uh, nostalgia thrillers night, and this one is, you know, Rob, Rob Lowe and Meg Tilly and Kim Cattrall's in it. It's not, it's got a lot of people in it. It's not very good at all, but it has this trope where, like, two characters meet in the movie and you realize that they've been working together the whole time which is which is always fun like the, this movie's plot makes no sense it's actually pretty bad but fun to watch but like that happens twice in the movie i just like that the <laughs> film had the audacity to have it happen two times like have one character suddenly be like oh they know each other and they've been working together again um it's great i, I think something that uh that has been getting to me in more modern tv shows because i realize the tv trope i gave is very old-fashioned more modern tv tropes is when a show starts and the show doesn't really get to what the show is about until the very end of the first episode and it's always well, like, that's mm. such a thing i mean that's like all like tv and like comic book writing too like they always have to end with the big reveal and it has to be a big fucking cliffhanger I don't know. I mean, cliffhangers I, are fine, but like, it's like, for instance, that show. Cliffhanger uh, is fine. I mean, Michael Cliffhanger, Rooker's it's fucking fine. great in it. It's so it's mm-hmm. it's a solid, you know, if not exceptional, actioner from the '90s, you know. But if there's, it's like that show, the uh, that Fred Armisen, Maya Rudolph show, where they were they yeah. were a couple that ends up in heaven or whatever, and that the first episode ends with Fred Armisen dying, and then I'm like, I was like, forget it. I'm not watching the next. Ep- like, if you can't tell me the premise of the show in the first episode, you don't need me to stick around for the second episode. <laughs> I got so mad. That that reminded me of one I don't like, where they start a and uh they start a show with something exciting happen happening, and then it's like one day earlier, you know, and it's just like I get it, like you didn't have confidence that we wanted to stick around if you didn't like sh- yeah. give us a slice of cake up front, but yeah, I've seen it so many times now. Come on, let's. I don't. I don't need that. Yeah, what's but this? You, a chapter in a George R. R. Martin novel? <laughs> <laughs> but you love it. But Dan, you love it when the character is in the middle of some kind of crazy thing and then trucks the camera and is like, "Hey, you're probably wondering how this happened." <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I think <laughs> it's so weird how I like. I loved that in Thor Ragnarok and never anywhere else. And it, like the the it is presented not that differently than it is in other places, but with enough of a spin that you know that the movie knows that this is silly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, we were talking about Marvel movies which and the previous Thor movies, which had not been silly. Yeah. Uh, okay. 
So the second and final letter is from Julie, last name withheld, who writes, About 25 years ago, I was backpacking through Europe. I wanted to experience a traditional English pub and went into one by myself, single American woman with backpack and all. The bartender asked me what I wanted, what I wanted, and I had no idea. The only alcohol I'd ever had before this was Manischewitz. I asked for the first beer I could think of, Bud Light. I was literally <laughs> laughed out of there. How many of you have ever experienced a movie cliche in real life? Love always, Julie. I'll say there was a uh, a couple years ago. I had to leave my family to go on a work trip, and I was in a cab on the way to the airport. And uh, and my family, we had, we were visiting New Jersey. We were visiting New Jersey, New York, where my rest of my family, where my relatives live. And I had to leave to go to Atlanta to work on a TV show. So I was leaving my family behind with my relatives. And on the way to the airport, the taxi cab radio was playing "Cats in the Cradle," and I was like, "Come on, come on, reality! <laughs> Don't play the soundtrack from the movie at me yeah. right now." Yeah. Uh, yeah, the inverse, uh, whenever I'm bartending, if somebody's like, give me a beer, I'm like, I definitely need to see ID. <laughs> <laughs> uh, either that or that also makes me think of the time back in uh, right after college, I was dating uh, a woman who was working at a summer camp. And I would have to at night, I'd have to like sneak onto the camp so that we could, you know, hang out. And uh, that was very much any moment I'm like, Jason's going to fucking murder me. <laughs> I'm like the first guy to get killed in this movie. He never murdered me, though. I'm alive. I'm oh, not good. Thank goodness. That's I'm so relieved. Um, I had a hard time. Uh, the, the best thing I come up with is uh, the Mike with Audrey, like we dated briefly. Then we were just friends for a long time. And then we sort of realized we wanted to be together. And I feel like that is a very like you know tv trope uh romantic comedy thing i mean it is because it does happen like people like are friends first and then move into relationships but i do think it happens uh way more in fiction than it often does in real life because you know in fiction in real life i feel like oftentimes i don't know like people grow comfortable with a certain type of relationship with another person and fear the alteration of that too much for it to, to, to change. Yeah. Um, like it's like how Elliot's always complaining about, uh, when you were younger, you'd always get stuck in the friend zone or mm -hmm. something. Yeah. The way Elliot was just like, you know, posting all his message boards about. Yeah. Being yeah. yeah. I have a manifesto yeah. about it. Anyone who wants to read it can please contact me. I have some, I have some big plans that's going to bring a lot of attention to it. Oh boy. That's <laughs> sure. too dark. Something about living in a society. No, awful. <laughs> Anyway, uh, have you guys seen this bad, Joker that's, movie? It gets, that's bad. <laughs> any young men who are listening to this, this is bad poisonous thing. <laughs> yeah, Do never not. take what I have to say for. Uh, yeah, don't listen well, to me. I'm, a, I'm an idiot. Well, it's one of the one of the reasons that uh, one of my the cliches that I mentioned in the, for the last question that I hate is the one where like like some kind of cool badass assassin girl or whatever like. Yeah. There's there's a there's a loser guy basically wanted like there's some loser normal guy who. Yes. Is, is picked out as being super special, and now he's being going to be, like, protected by a sort of badass assassin mom-girlfriend uh, mm -hmm. who recognizes the special part of him, and uh, now, he, like, or the the lonely guy who keeps harassing his friend, basically, until she falls in love with him. Like, that's all toxic yeah. stuff. It's yeah. all bad stuff. It's bad Joe Latruglio's character from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. In the first season, basically, well, I, I would yeah. say, I, or I would say, like the movie, say anything to a certain extent. 
that like or things like yeah. that. Like if you're in a relation, if you're with someone and they don't want to be around you, hanging outside their window with a boombox playing the song they lost their virginity to you to is not. That's harassment. Like that's not cute. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Unless John uh, Cusack does it, because look at those puppy dog eyes. Yeah. So that that was our little. Uh, the more you know. I feel so bad for the puppy dog that had to give up its eyes. <laughs> I put know. down that it was a donor. That was well, on its, got, well, the thing it's is, on its license. He, weirdly, he got Jerry Orbach's eyes. That dog. Oh, weird. Sure. Oh, interesting. <laughs> that makes sense. And Jerry Orbach got the eyes of Laura Mars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on DVD uh, now. Yeah. <laughs> well, men get eyes from Laura Mars. Women get eyes from Laura Venus. From Venus, yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's all right there. So, okay. Well, let's go to... Uh, recommendations of movies I would definitely say you should watch instead of Tom and Jerry. Yeah. Uh, you know, do what do what you like. Uh, so, so Dan's recommending yeah. Joker. Yeah, Dan says no, I, just put a fucking frozen pizza in the oven and watch it cook. That's more exciting than <laughs> Tom and Jerry the movie. <laughs> no, I wanted to. So our um, our network, Maximum Fun. One of the shows on there is Reading Glasses, which is co-hosted by. Bria Grant, who I have uh, never had the pleasure of chatting with or meeting, but uh, she is an actor, director, writer, um, and there are a couple of new movies she was heavily involved with out right now. There's one called Lucky that she wrote and starred in, but did not direct. That is on Shudder, and it is uh, very hard to explain. It is a very metaphorical horror movie to put you in the mind of sort of a woman who is basically just being gaslit by society at large. Um, and, uh, it is, uh, harrowing and, but also kind of very darkly funny, uh, and upsetting. And I liked it so much that that same night I watched another movie, one that she, um, Directed and wrote, did not star in. Angela Bettis from May is in it. It's on Hulu. It's called 12 Hour Shift, uh, which was also very good in a totally different way. It's more of a kind of noir, like splatter noir, uh, dumb people get way in over their heads, kind of like early Coen brothers, but a little like Sounds a great. Little goofier than, than that, maybe. Uh, both very fun, you know, about someone in a hospital who's running a organ uh <laughs> selling ring that um, sounds awesome a lot of fun so i recommend both of those lucky and 12 hour shift uh i'm gonna recommend a movie that i think one of you guys recommended previously but i think it's topical partly because uh i think it's just a great movie to watch with your family and that's a movie from 1971 it's ken russell's the devils <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah, uh, I'm bringing it up because uh, it just recently hit Shudder, and I think I watched it as a teenager, but I really didn't give a shit about it at the time. But now I rewatched it, uh, and it's really great. I think it's the the R-rated cut. It's not the X-rated cut mm. that is not available in the United States uh, through normal normal means. I think that I saw. <clears throat> uh, I think I saw the uh, uncut version at the Alamo as a sp- special oh, screening. Awesome. But I think this, that sort of thing is what you have to do. Yeah. Well, the, the R-rated version is very good. It's on Shudder. I highly recommend it. It's, you know, the it's the story of a 17th century city and a priest who, uh, through political machinations, gets accused of witchcraft. Uh, and it's really great. And it's pretty intense. Uh, and I don't know, maybe it's like... 
Maybe it was just the like pandemic horniness, but man, Oliver Reed <laughs> can get it, man. Like I was watching that and I'm like, maybe mm. I should grow my mustache again. And you know, I mean, he is like a big bull of a man. <laughs> yeah. And then, and like, I'm paraphrasing here, but uh, there's this scene when he's accused of witchcraft and he's like, I could never be the plaything of the devil. I lack the humility for it. And I'm sitting there, you know, eating mango slices with my fingers. And I'm like, same. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, the devil's on shutter. Check it out. I think, Stuart, you owe it to yourselves to see the movie Women in Love just for the Oliver Reed, Alan Bates nude wrestling scene. Whoa. Uh, Okay. Just get ready for it. I am going to recommend a movie also. Uh, this is the movie I watched right before watching Tom and Jerry, and a more different movie it was hard for me to imagine, although it is also set in New York City. So they're both New York City films. Uh, this is a movie called Born in Flames. It's from 1983. It's an underground movie written and directed by Lizzie Borden, not the Lizzie Borden who killed her parents in the 19th the century. This is a different person. Uh, and it is about – it takes place in kind of the, those, uh, the, the near future, but also very much late 70s, early 80s New York City – there is a proudly socialist democratic uh, government in charge that keeps talking about how there was a revolution and everything's better now. But in actuality, it is just a, another form of the same kind of kind of soft liberalism that doesn't really affect the real problems of inequality in society. And this group of women become essentially an underground uh, guerrilla group to force a change in the government. And the whole thing is told in a very kind of collage style. You'll have a scene between characters that kind of dissolves into a fake news story, which might dissolve into a scene with other characters who are surveilling the characters from the original scene. Uh, It's told in a very like um, uh, almost kind of like if a movie was done in the same manner as like the, the backups in Watchmen. In a sort of way, it's a lot of like feels like you're looking, you're kind of sifting through the found elements of this of this kind of slightly different from our own world. And there were a lot of things about it that felt very relevant and to topical to now. It really reminded me a lot that a lot of things that are bubbling to the surface of politics now have always been there, uh, mm-hmm. and only in the '80s, in the early '80s, they were more they had not yet bubbled to that surface. And at the end, it even kind of seems to predict that this kind of uh, action will lead to a conservative black backlash of a sort. Anyway, it's uh, it, I thought it was a really good movie. Uh, there, it, it's a real punk feeling movie, and there's early, very young appearances in it by Eric Bogosian and uh, director uh, Catherine Bigelow, amazing oh. in an acting role. Huh. Uh, but uh, it's I thought it was really good. It's on Criterion Channel right now. It's on Canopy right now. It's called Born in Flames. Now, Elliot, you mentioned that it's a world slightly different than our own. Is one of the differences that uh, Jim Carrey went on to make the Fire Marshal Bill series of movies instead of Ace Ventura? That's or one of those is that details. No, no, that's that is just off camera. You see someone passing by a poster for uh, for Fire Marshal Bill Three, mm-hmm. uh, Fire, wow. Fire, Fire. They were really running okay. out of things to call it. Yeah. Actually, yeah. And, uh, it reminds me of a. Uh, <laughs> I mean, saying the- Fire three times. That's. Perfect for the third movie in a series. For the third one. Yeah, well, the first one was called Fire Marshal Bill in Fire. Second one, Fire Marshal Bill in Fire Fire. Uh, Uh And the the fourth one was called Fire Marshal Bill in Forer. They tried to combine the words fire and four. It doesn't quite work. Now, uh, that reminds me of uh, the book, The Secret Policeman's 
the Yiddish police, not secret the Yiddish Policemen's Union by mm-hmm. Michael Chabon, mm-hmm. where it is an alternate reality where there is a Jewish colony in Alaska after World War II. And for some reason, that also means it's a world where Orson Welles made his film version of Heart of Darkness. And that's just kind of thrown out as a detail in the moot book. Yeah. And I've always yeah. wanted to ask Michael Chabon, how are those two, how could, why is that the other difference about that universe, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, it is a, it, it is interesting. I read that too, and I'm like, so is this just one of those like fun indicators that this is a different like world we're in, or is somehow there a direct correlation between uh, the Jewish state in Alaska and the making of this film? We'll never know until the, the I guess the TV series comes comes out where they have to where they have to flesh all that, or maybe the prequel, the uh, the Yiddish policeman's ununionized organization, where they haven't yet become a union. <laughs> Oh, the prequel. Yeah, that's yeah, the prequel. Prequels still... are always really good. Prequels are always great. Uh, hey, guys. Thanks for being here. Thank you, listeners, for listening. Thank you to Jordan Cowling for uh, editing this, uh, making it sound real nice for you. I don't know what that voice was. Please do not take it as some sort of stereotype. I have no idea where it came from. Uh, but uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you, even though... Uh, Tom and Jerry was <laughs> a real downer for me. We had to like, we like, we're like, can we put some, like, uh, you know, we were going to record this pretty soon after I finished watching and, and we're both like, let's watch something else to take the taste of Tom and Jerry out of our mouths. <laughs> I think, I uh, think you might need a little bit more cushion time between the movie and the recording in the future. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Came in with that angry energy, but, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you shouldn't have picked Manchester by the sea as your pick me up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, okay, well, <laughs> what's gonna what's gonna cleanse the palate here? <laughs> Let me listen to this Adele album to cheer up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, uh, thank you so much uh, for listening. Go over to maximumfun.org to um, check out other great podcasts. Uh, review us on iTunes. Tweet about us. But until next time, I have been Dan McCoy. As always, now and forever, until the end of time, I'm Stuart Wellington. And I'm Elliot Kalin, technically an animated character. See ya. Bye. Oh, wow. Now he's jamming. Oh, man. Oh, we got. Oh, Dan's oh, wow. really. Give him... Give him some, get my energy uh, give him some drums. Yeah. 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 Just slapping his own arms. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.